Amen. Thank you, uh, praise team. I tell you what, I feel like preaching on Daniel 3, another one in the fire. That's a beautiful, beautiful song, man. I could, I could get into that. Matter of fact, uh, I'm going to preach that, I think, at our baccalaureate service this Wednesday, where uh, just that fourth one in the fire. I just love it. Anyways, I'll get off track here. Okay, let's, let's go with what we're going to do today. All right, good to have you in God's house today. If you are visiting, we're glad that you're here. This is a special Sunday. This is our Commitment Sunday, and things are a little different as uh, we've gone online more with our giving and stuff. Usually, you wait till this day to have all the offerings, then you give the total, and we've just been seeing a lot of offerings come in over the last few weeks, and so I'm just going to kind of keep you updated and tell you a little more about that. I've entitled this message today, Living on the Other Side of Yes. Living on the Other Side of Yes. And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, Living on the Other Side of Yes. And while you're finding your place in the Bible, let me just say a few things. I got the title idea because I was so drawn to it when I heard it myself. Living on the Other Side of Yes, um, that's what I want to do. I want to live on the other side of yes. And it comes from John Maxwell's book called Leadership, Leadership. And I don't know if you've ever read that book, but he had this story he tells in the book where two groups or partnerships companies were coming together to talk about a partnership and could they come together and form this partnership? And if they could, they felt like they could make a huge difference in the world. And so they asked Maxwell to come and moderate this meeting. And so as he was in the room and beginning to have this discussion between these two companies and uh, several of their executives, the energy began to kind of build in the room. And one leader stood up in the middle of the discussion, and he said this, John, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Count me in. Count me in. Whatever this means or whatever you need, I am a yes. <laughs> and, and the room exploded at that point, and these two companies went into partnership together because of the work of John Maxwell. And that one man who stood up in the room and said, Count me in. I'm a yes. So after the meeting was over, John found this man and he said, hey man, what, what was it that, that just made you just uh, respond so boldly right in that meeting? He didn't even hardly know the guy. And he said, he answered, he said, John, I live on the other side of yes. I live on the other side of yes. What he meant by that is I always see every situation as a possibility. Every situation is an opportunity every situation as a way that we can develop ourselves and that we can go forward with our possibilities and our opportunities, and I see abundance. That's what it means to live on the other side of yes. I got that story from that book, and I, I love it. I love that spirit because the truth is, if we're not careful, a lot of people live on the other side of no. They see the difficulties. They see the problems, and they don't see the possibility. And I'm going to tell you if, you, if you're a kind of person who lives on the other side of no, here's what's going to happen to you, Okay. The people who live on the other side of yes are going to wait for you to say no, and then the people who live on the other side of yes are going to take that opportunity that you lost. That's what's going to happen in your life. And so think about that just at the level of what John Maxwell is saying, but I want to use it here today in this message. Today, I love having people in my church who live on the other side of yes. I love having people that have committed above their tithes they gave free will offerings just over the last few weeks. Today's the final day to commit to that. If you don't have a card, there's some out at the table there. There'll be someone out at the table as well, and, and they can get you a commitment card, or you can give online as well. That's what's so different. You can do it in real time now online. But I, I just want to say, first of all, you who've already made faith promises and that you who are going to, I want to say thank you. Uh, you said, really, count me in. Count me in. Count me in for what we're about at this church. We're about the ministry of worshiping, serving, reaching, and connecting. That's what we're about, those four things. And that's what we're doing now. We're trying to worship, serve, reach, and connect into this community, into our, our connect groups, those kind of ministries that go on at every level. And, and yet we want to continue to do it even into future generations. So it's not just about a future generation when we're not here. It is also about the here and now. And you have said, count me in. And I, I want to say... I appreciate that so much as your pastor. And as your pastor, I want to say thank you. Thank you. This church, in the giving over the history of this church, has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. And, and you could look at our records, and you could look at our debt-to-income ratios. You can look at our land. You can look at our property worth. You can look at the investments we've made. 
And it, it astounds me how God has provided and used people like you to give faithfully to this church. And I don't believe without it we could have done what we're doing to this, this point in time. And many of you have stepped up in faith over and over, and you're doing it again. Now, we wanted to raise $1.5 million. One reason is to keep our debt-to-income ratio at a certain percentage, around 15%. Uh, the highest we've ever gotten a debt-to-income ratio here is around 29% when we did one building, but then within the year of the giving, we brought it right back down below the 20%. I've lived as a pastor here at this church with a 20% or less debt-to-income ratio so that the, the higher you go in your debt-to-income, the less you can do ministry. The lower you go, the more you can do ministry. And so we've been very taking a strong fiduciary responsibility as a pastor and the deacon leadership here to make sure we move in the right directions and honor the Lord. And that's one of the reasons we're doing a $1.5 million capital campaign called Next Gen 2023. This money is going toward... Uh, that building and is going to be used for that purpose. And there's so many purposes, I'm not going to go into that again today, that we're going to use that today. At the end of April, we had half a million already uh, pre-promised. Over a three-year commitment, some wanted to give one-time gifts, but a lot of people did the three-year commitment as God would bless them and made a faith promise to say, I'll do this above my ties over three years. So at the end of April, we had 500,000. Last Sunday when I announced it, on Mother's Day, uh, we were at, was last Sunday, Mother's Day? No, two Sundays ago. And that's so we were over 800,000, 800,000. Today, we sit at one and a quarter million dollars. $1.25 million. I swear, that's great. That is so great. I'm telling you, the nice thing about the online giving is you can kind of see it in real time as it happens. And so many of you have stepped up to the plate saying, I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going I'm to get in this, and I'm going to use it for the glory and honor of the Lord. And that's, that's my full intent. My full intent is our, not only today, but our future as well. And so I want to thank you for that. I just want you to know, as your pastor, I'm proud of you. And maybe I don't say that enough, but I feel that. I don't even feel like I have to preach. I believe I just, you know, part of this sermon was to really challenge those maybe who haven't given yet, but I just want to really focus your heart today on the generosity. That's what I've been saying over this last month is generous giving, and that's what I've challenged you to do. It's not easy to do that, but it's definitely part of my job is to challenge you, according to the Word of God, to be generous, all right? So let's stand together. I'm going to read Mark 14. I'm going to read verses 3 to 9. Then I'm going to drop over to, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to, it'll be John 12, and I want to give you the other perspective on the same story. Follow along now as I read verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, why was this perfume had been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Now, over in John 12, if you're there or not, just follow along. I'm going to read just a portion of this so you know specifically who these people were, were complaining, who the chief of them was. In verse 4 it says, After she had given the fragrance, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, <laughs> but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box... He used to pilfer what was put into it. Let's just stop there with the reading. You may be seated. It's amazing to me. Judas was a thief. And he actually took money out of the offering box. They were in a traveling ministry. And, and he's the one who kept the money. And every now and then he'd pull in it and take for himself. And the Bible says he was a thief. Stealing from Jesus. It's an incredible thing. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I want to take two key people in this passage in Mark 14, and I want you to see these two people in light of an extravagant gift. There's Mary and there's Judas. 
There's Mary and there's Judas. Mary gives this extravagant gift, 300 denarii. That would be a year's salary in a box of perfume, an alabaster box. Now, that's an amazing thing in and of itself. And then Judas, he was so upset, he publicly criticized the other people in the room and the disciples what she did. Okay? So what I did is I just took a simple thought here and I said there are two hearts displayed here. There's the heart of generosity and there's the heart of selfishness. Notice what revealed each heart. They're giving. They're giving. What they gave revealed their heart. Ask yourself today, and I want, I want to put this in the first person, am I generous because I want you to ask yourself that. I'm not here to ask you that as much as I want you to ask it. And I'm going to ask it to myself. Am I generous? Because sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I am. But I have to work on it too. To be generous in my spirit. So as we get into this message today, uh, when it comes to generosity and selfishness, I want you to understand some things. And this is how I've outlined the message. In order to live on the other side of yes, you must understand three things about generosity. Three things about generosity. I just want to give them to you this morning. All right? Number one, the first thing I want to talk to you about is the enemy of generosity. The enemy of generosity. The truth is, we're all born selfish. We're all born selfish. But here's the cool thing. We are born again generous. We are born again generous. We're all born selfish, but we're born again generous. That's a beautiful thing. When the Spirit of God is speaking and working in your heart, you will be generous. That's what the Spirit of God will just do in you. That's what he did to this lady, Mary. We know it's Mary because the book of Mark doesn't want to mention her name because it's a book about servants. So names aren't mentioned as much. But in the book of John tells us, in the book of Matthew, that this was Mary of Bethany who did this. Now, the, the great news is we're born, again, generous. But the bad news is we're all born selfish. That's so true. I mean, look, look back over your parenting years, if you are a parent or have been a parent. One of the first words a little child learns to pronunciate very well is, mine, mine. Before my grandkids said Papa, they said mine. I was somehow down below that one right there because they weren't learned that word fast. And the child can say it in such a pitch that it gives you an immediate headache. Mine! Mine! Just, just think about that for a minute, okay? Uh, a parent will be watching a game and, and they'll hear in the house, Mine! 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 And it just, you just feel getting on your nerves. And so you're there watching the game. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that as a parent? Parent goes through the house to find that sound. Okay? And I've learned this, and I hate to admit it. You find the room, and new, normally when you look in the room, there's a younger child pulling from an older child something away saying, Mine! 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 And they don't stop. Now, let me explain this, Okay? There's a place where every parent comes to when we don't care about justice. And this is one of those times. You don't care about justice now. You care about quiet. That's all you care about at that moment. I hate to admit that, but that is so true. So we end up saying something like this to the older child. Give it to him. Give it to him. But dad, dad, it's really mine. It may be yours. That kid has stuff of mine too. Just give it to him. That's, <laughs> I just hate to admit that. I just got that out there. I feel so much better in my soul. All right, give it to him. The truth of the matter is we all got this mind. We all got this mind in us. That's why I think God wants us to grow out of it. To grow out of the mind in us. That's not easy to do. God actually uses that word when he refers to the tithe, which is amazing to me. He says, it's mine. Don't touch it. That's what he says about the tithe. It's an incredible thing. Uh, in, in, in chapter 12, verse 5 of John, Judas looks and says publicly to those guys around him, says, why was this not sold and given to the poor? Now, 
I, I want to point that out because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with this message, but I do know I want to say this to you. I want you to, I want to remind you very carefully about this, okay, so that you don't make this mistake too. This statement originated with the one who betrayed our Lord. He created this statement, and it was forever recorded in the Word of God. So let me tell you something. Don't you say it. Don't say it. Here's a woman who gave an extravagant gift. It's clearly extravagant. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, when we see extravagance, or let me just say it this way, perceived extravagance of someone else, we want to say something like that. <laughs> Why don't they give to the poor? Don't say it. You're slipping right into the devil's hands. You're slipping right into the devil's hand. You know what the definition of extravagance is? I'm just going to give you a simple definition. The one who has more than you. <laughs> That's what extravagance is. The one who has more than you. You see that neighborhood, you're driving home, you say, man, that's an extravagant neighborhood. Boy, boy, look at, look at those houses. Look at those houses. Until you get a raise and make a little more, and then you move into that neighborhood. And now, now it's not so extravagant anymore. Now you go through the, another neighborhood and say, now that's extravagant, that's extravagant, but, but not where I am. See, because you always have this tendency to look at everybody else and evaluate everybody else, but you never really take a look inside at yourself and ask yourself, am I generous? Am I generous? And, and I think this is very important to say, here's what we do. We always point to someone else so we don't have to point to us. Now let me just say this to you so you get this, okay? G this ticks Jesus off. This ticks him off. He says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. That's, that's important to sense here in the text uh, because Jesus is saying, stop criticizing. Stop criticizing her. Don't let your calling be to criticize what other people do or don't do with their money. That's so important to say to you. Don't let it be your calling to criticize what other people do or don't do for Jesus. Don't, don't, don't do that with your life. You pour your life out on Jesus Christ like Mary poured out perfume on Jesus Christ. And if you do that, I promise you this, somebody will criticize you for it. Somebody will criticize you for it. But don't worry about it because God put this in the passage to tell you Jesus will always defend you when you pour your life out on him. He will always defend you. And those people are messed up. Those people are messed up. And I, I don't know if you understand this, but you can't make yourself sick to make other people well. Just pour your life out on Jesus. Now, I don't know if I should share this. I shared it in the last service. I might as well. I was driving with a pastor friend through a neighborhood. And we came by this very nice house. Could say it was extravagant. It was nice. And the man I was with, I'm going to be careful here that I don't actually say his name, but he said, wow, that's a nice house. I said, actually, that's one of our members over at Triad. And I said to him, you wouldn't know this. But that is a very generous couple. They're a very giving couple. He kind of smirked and he said, you ought to sell it and give it to the poor. I felt something just come up in me, defensive, and I felt like at that point I needed to minister to this man. So I looked at him and I said to him, you don't care about the poor. He said, what do you mean? I said, the truth of the matter is, you know who said that statement? Judas said that statement. And he's the one who betrayed our Lord. And you're quoting him. You ought to sell it and give it to the poor. 
The truth of the matter is you don't care about the poor. He said, I care about the poor. He said, no. Jesus, or Judas said, that ought to be sold and given to the poor. And the Bible says he didn't even care about the poor. But he's the one who said it. It exposed his heart. So everybody who really says it is really a hypocrite. That's why I never want you to say that statement. That'll sell it and give it to the poor. I said, if you really cared about the poor, you'd sell your house and give it to the poor. See, that's where the rub really hits the road. Because it really gets down to not what they do, but what you do with what you got. And it's so easy for you to spend other people's money, money, and you think they ought to have a certain house that they don't have, and it's a little nicer than yours, and so you think that'll sell it and give it to the poor. When the truth is, you don't even really believe that yourself because you don't care about the poor. Because you're not selling your house. And you know, the truth is, I, I wrote this in my notes, we don't even really know what people are doing with their money, and we're guessing at it. And because they have a very nice house, and they have a very nice place, and a very nice car, we're making assumptions. We don't know what they do with their money. So don't say that about people. I guess I had to have that happen with me in the car to understand that about everybody in here. And I think the Lord used that in my life. Judas carried the offering box. This still amazes me about God. Jesus is in a traveling ministry, and he picks Judas, who he knows is a thief, the Bible says. He knows he's a thief. The last person I'm going to have as a counter in our church is a thief. You know, we, we vet them a little. We check into their life. We look into their personality. We look into their reputation. Can we trust this person? Now, here's the amazing thing. He picked a thief. Two years before this, you know what he said? He said this, did I not you choose you 12? And one of you is a devil. And he picks the devil to be his accountant. Who would do that? I know I wouldn't do that. He said, one of you is a devil. And he picks Judas, the devil, to be his treasurer. So why did he do it? Why did he do it? I've always puzzled over this, and I've studied it so many times. Here, here's the best answer I got, okay? Judas, or Jesus, didn't choose him to fail. Because he never tests anybody to fail. He will never test you to fail. He says, I tempt no man to fail. But he will try you and test you to succeed. <laughs> he has a whole different heart about it. So, just think about that with Judas for a minute, okay? He didn't choose him to fail. He's given an opportunity to Judas to pass. That's amazing to me. I don't think like that. But he's given you an opportunity to pass. Jesus will test you in your finances to give you an opportunity to pass. I'm convinced of that. Judas was called the thief in Scripture. Now, just follow this through because I'm, I'm just going to take just another minute on this enemy of generosity, which is selfishness. Malachi says, people who don't tithe are stealing from me. Judas took money out of the box. Is anyone in here who would take money out of these offering boxes, or if we pass an offering again, would you ever stick your hand in and just take some out and steal it? I mean, you'd say, no, I'd never do that. Well, here's the question you have to answer. Is there anyone here who would keep money in their bank account that actually belongs to the Lord? Wouldn't that be the same thing? Wouldn't that be the same thing? Because the enemy of generosity is selfishness. It's selfishness. It's a battle we all fight. All right, let's go on. The extravagance of the generosity. The extravagance of the generosity. Verse 3 says, She was reclining at the table. There came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial, poured it over his head. John 12 says she did it on his feet and wiped his feet. And so I just brought a, a visual here. I used this actually the other day in a message I did in chapel with a, a school, but 
uh, just, to, just to have an image for you, okay? They had alabaster boxes in those days, perfume bottles. And in this particular case, she would have 300 days wages in there. That's 300 denarii. That's what the scripture says. It's interesting to me that he uses the critic to tell what value she's really giving away. She's literally giving this extravagant gift and, and she's going to pour it on the head of Jesus and then it's going to run down his body and then she's going to rub her hair, her feet, his feet with her hair. It's absolutely amazing to think about that. And so as you think about this, uh, extravagant gifts. I, I, here's what I asked myself as I was studying this. Can you give an extravagant gift to Jesus that would impress him? There's actually several extravagant gifts in the Bible. I, I looked up a bunch of them this week, but I just want to mention a few. First of all, you know the most extravagant would be Jesus Christ. We're so used to hearing it, but that for God so loved the world that he gave. That's the most extravagant gift you could give is your own son to die on a cross for someone else. That's extravagant. It's almost foolish. That's why the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that refuse to believe. Because they can't see the extravagance of that and they can't accept that. Because they, they can't get past the selfishness that's an enemy in their soul. And so that would be the most extravagant. The second extravagant gift I found was David when he gave an equivalent in our day of $23 billion toward the building of the temple. He gave a gift out of his storehouse of gold and silver and other precious things of $23 billion to build the temple. That's, that's pretty extravagant. You may not have thought of this one, but I thought of this one. The widow who gave two mites. That was an extravagant gift because when Jesus saw it, he said the thing that impressed him wasn't the amount, it's that she gave all she had. She only had two mites left and she gave it all. God said, I'm going to fill her back up because she emptied herself. And when she emptied herself, I'm going to fill her and bless her. See, he was, looking, he was looking at the heart. He was looking at the attitude of her heart. That's how he was measuring that woman. And that's an amazing thing. It wasn't the amount. And then here in this passage, Mary did all she could. She had 300 denarii. That would be, why do they do it in perfume like that? Why would they collect that much? Because for the poorer people, okay, they, they couldn't get their hands on silver coins and gold coins like the Romans could. But what they would do is they would save perfume. That was their retirement. So she was saving, and she had saved up in her life a year's salary of perfume. That was her retirement. And that, that's really the idea of the text here. And so she gives this. And I want to ask you today, I wrote this down because I think it's such an important, what would it be like for you to give a year's salary in one lump sum? I don't care who it is in this room, that would be extravagant. That would be extravagant. Because if you gave up a year's salary, one lump sum just like that, that'd be an extravagant gift. That'd be a yes for all of us. Here's another question to follow up with that one. Would it be extravagant to take that gift and to pour it on someone else's head and feet? <laughs> that would even be almost foolish. Because that's what Judas said. It's foolish that that was done. But she poured it out on the head and feet of Jesus. That's what she did. And you don't think that impressed Jesus? Absolutely impressed Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Because she broke the alabaster box. You see, you got lids on those things. And she could have said, here Jesus, here's a little for you. And I'm going to keep back a little for me. And I'll just put my cap back on. But she didn't do that. She broke the box. There's something going on in this woman's heart that matters to all of us, all right? I want you to understand this, okay? When I think of the Corinthians in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, when they were giving an offering to the needy at that particular time, there was a great need, and so they, they started to give money. The Bible says they gave out of their poverty. Poverty, okay? But God said this about them. It's not just that they gave out of their poverty, he said the reason they gave out of their poverty is because they first gave of themselves. See, it was a heart issue. So out of their heart, they said, I'm going to give myself totally to God. And 
And then giving was just a result of that. It wasn't something they just give. It was a result of already giving themselves to the Lord. And that's what this woman had done. She, she didn't say, here's a little, and Jesus, I'm going to go to back. She, that's why Jesus, he, she gave it all. She gave it all. No holding back for a rainy day. Listen, i got a retirement to take care of my life. I, I can't do that. I can't risk that. I mean, what, what would it be? This is all of my... And that's what the devil will whisper to you. Hey, go ahead and give some. Don't give it all. You fool, you'll be left high and dry. What are you going to have left? What about all those things you want to do? What about your kids? What about that nice house? What about that car? What are you, you going to do? See, that's what the devil would whisper. You got bills. Don't get yourself strapped. But Mary said, Lord, here's the dearest earthly possession I have. I'm going to pour it all out on you. She broke it. She broke it to pour it all out. It wasn't just some of it. It was all of it. Lord, here it is. It's at your disposal. I pour it on your head. I pour it on your feet. I pour it on your body. It's all for you. I'm going to take everything I got. And I'm going to focus it all on you. All on you. That's how she touched Jesus' heart. That's how she touched his heart. It's not the amount. It's the attitude. It's the heart behind it. Just think about that, okay? Don't tell me God has your heart if he doesn't have your treasure. Just don't tell me that. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So it's, just so, it's just so simple. I want to just keep that very simple for you because it, it, it's so important to see that. Jesus said, it's a beautiful verse, verse 8, she did what she could. She did what she could. She just, she just poured it out on him because that's what she could do. She thought, what can I do? What can I do? Jesus can preach. I can't preach. Uh, Peter can fish. I can't fish. Martha can make meatloaf. I can't make meatloaf. Like, I can't do all those things. Look at all these things people can do. And I said this in, this, in the chapel message the other day because sometimes middle schoolers and high schoolers struggle so much with this. They want to compare themselves with each other. And, and many adults do the same thing. What do they got? What do I don't have? Well, look at their skills. Look at their talents. I can't sing. I can't preach. I can't do that. God's not interested in what the other person can do, and he doesn't want you to have an interest in that. He said, what did I put in your hand? Stop comparing yourself with what other people got and what other skills they have and what they can do. All God says is, if I put a cup of water in your hand, then a cup of water is all I demand. That's such a mistake that people make. They just compare themselves with others and what others can do and what they can't. And the truth is, God's saying, I'm not measuring you by that. I'm measuring you by what I gave to you and what you can do with what you have. That's how I'm measuring your life. That's so, that's so important, okay? Now, I've studied enough on this that there are three levels of giving in the Bible, and I've seen them, and they always come down to this, whether Old or New Testament. There's the tithe, there's the offering, and then there's the extravagant offering. The tithe, the offering, and the extravagant. Those are the only three gifts I see in Scripture, okay? Most Christians never get to the first level. This is, this is a sad thing, but it's a true thing. I went and looked up the research on this. Do you know how many Christians tithe 10% of their gross income to the local church undesignated? Over a five-year average, 5 to 7% of Christians tithe 10%. 5 to 7%. That means 93 to 95% of all believers never get to the first level of giving. They never get to the first level. That's, that's sad. But the great news is, if you ever get to the first level, I promise you this, if you ever get to the first level and you get to the second level, the second level is, is the free will offering. It's above the tithe. It's, it's the free will offering. You say, I just, I just want to do more. You do that, and I promise you this, I've learned it in my life, you'll break the curse of selfishness. You'll break it. You will break the curse curse of selfishness on your life. I, I've seen that true. And, and, you know, the promises are there as well, but I'm not going to go into those. But the third level is that extravagant gift. And, and if you've gone to the first level and the second level, and you, you'll be challenged somewhere, I believe this with all my heart, you'll be challenged somewhere in your life with the extravagant gift level. Now, my buddy and I call that the painful gift level. 
because you really have to think about it and really have to pray about it. And it takes, it takes some effort to really come before God in faith and say, God, are you asking me to give an extravagant gift? Now, I think somewhere in your life, God will ask every Christian to give an extravagant offering. And here's what will happen. The first thought in your heart will be fear. What if I do this? I'll be, I'll be foolish. Fear. But the second thought will be, the Lord asked me. And what an honor that is, that he asked me to do that, and I want to do that. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened in your life, but I'm telling you that's how it will work if it does happen. Now, I want to just say this. I'm not asking you to give everything. I'm not asking you to give an extravagant offering. It'd take a work of faith for that to happen in your heart, and I'm not asking you to do that. I am asking you to give what God asks you to give, though. I am asking you to give what God asks you to give. And that's a good thing to sit down and sometimes just meditate and ask God, what do you want me to give? How do you want me to be a part of this? What, what should I do? But I will say this. If God does ask you to give an extravagant gift one day in your life, over your lifetime, I promise you this, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done. It'll be the greatest thing you've ever done. All right, that's the extravagancy of generosity. Okay, let me go to the third one here. The earnings of generosity, the earnings. I love this as I look at her life. The Bible says in verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. I love this. This woman was rewarded. Jesus said, this is such an incredible, extravagant gift. I'm going to make sure every time the death, burial, and resurrection of myself is preached, wherever it is preached in the whole world, it will be mindful of the fact that there was a woman that gave it all. And I will have that recorded forever, and I will have that as part of the gospel. And here I am 2,000 years later, fulfilling that word of God. I'm telling you about it because I'm fulfilling it by telling you. God said, it'll be preached. It'll never be forgotten. That's a reward. That's a reward. And not only that, but it says, she anointed my body for burial. She's the only one who got it. Mary understood that she was going to die. She got it. I don't know how she got it, but one thing we do know about Mary's life is she was always at the feet of Jesus. Every chance she got, she was listening to this man. When, when, when uh, Lazarus died and, and he came to the funeral, she came and fell at his feet and said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She sits at the feet and listens to Jesus, and Jesus speaks to her about her future being the resurrection and the life. So she, she's, she just becomes so spiritually sensitive in her life. When, when uh, uh, all of them came over to Lazarus' house to celebrate, and there they are at the house. Remember that uh, passage where... Um, Mary goes in and sits at the feet of Jesus with all those men in the room. It was against their very custom to do that. And, 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 and Martha's in there cooking the meal, and she's upset that Mary is not helping her. So Meatloaf Martha's in the other room complaining about the fact that her sister's not helping her. So she goes into the room, she barges in the room, says, Jesus, tell Mary to get in the kitchen and help me. What well, seems legit? Seems like Mary's out of place. She should have been at the feet of Jesus. She should have been helping me cook the meatloaf. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing that Jesus looks at her and says, Oh, Martha, you are so busy. You are so caught up in running here and running there and cooking this and doing that. You missed it, Martha. Mary chose the better. She's at my feet. That's how this woman got it. And so she's anointing his body before he dies on a cross. She's anointing it and dedicating it to that purpose and so that he smells like a million bucks going to that grave. That's the idea. And so as you think about that, if she'd have waited until when all the other ladies took the, anointment, took the uh, anointing oils to the grave on Sunday morning, they were all too late. See, this is what I fear with some of you. You're going to wait till it's too late, and you're going to miss your opportunity to really pour yourself out on Jesus. 
and pour the things you have out on Jesus. And you're going to say, oh, I, I wish I would have done it. I wish I would have done it. But it's going to be too late, just like all those other ladies missed it. But she was so spiritually sensitive, sensitive she got it. And she said, I'm going to take the opportunity I have now, and I'm going to pour this out on Jesus. I, I think that's beautiful. And because of that, she was rewarded. She was rewarded. Now, she didn't come to get a reward, okay? She didn't do it for a reward. She just gave the gift. She just gave it. I've asked myself this many times. Why would Mary have such a, give just such a generous gift? Why would it be so extravagant? And, and here's the best I got on that. I've been thinking about this. Two months earlier, all right? Two months earlier, her brother Lazarus is raised from the dead. And I'll bet she said to herself, Jesus really is Lord. He's Lord of death. And I'll bet some kind of generosity when she saw her brother after three days, four days in the grave come up from the dead. And she sat down at the table with him. I'll bet something stirred. Some kind of generosity in her stirred. See, because generosity comes from gratitude. That's why you'll give. You, you feel a sense of gratitude. All right? Grateful people are generous. Now think about this, okay, because I was thinking about this. If one of your family members were raised from the dead, would you be grateful? If you had a brother or a sister or a baby or a child or a spouse or a grandparent and, and three days or four days after they died, Jesus raised them from the dead. First of all, you'd be absolutely amazed at that, but can you imagine, would you not something in your heart say, you've got to be kidding me. They're back from the dead. You would be grateful. Do you think that would change the way you give to God? Now, here's the truth. That is what has happened to many of your family members. The Bible says that many of your family members were dead in their trespasses and sins, and they were made alive in Jesus Christ. They were raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. So the truth of the matter is, you should already be grateful on the basis of the people that you love and care about that are saved. And they're walking in the newness of life. Can I just say for me personally, one thing I've realized in my life, the more I've walked with the Lord, if all I got was the generosity of my children getting saved, that is enough for me. To know that he raised my children from the dead to walk in newness of life. To see them living and serving the Lord. I, I'm telling you, just the reward of saved children, that's my reward. That's my reward. And, and, that, and, and you can feel that in your spirit. And, 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 and I just think it's a beautiful thing to think about. And so I love to think about that. Um, God always rewards generosity. He always rewards it. You know what the definition of generosity is? When we give and expect nothing in return. That's a generous person. What's the definition of selfishness? Is when you give and you think God owes you something. You think God owes you something. <laughs> I want to close with this, okay? This is something that's just beautiful to me. Hebrews eleven six says this. He who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, when we went through the book of Hebrews, I, I kind of made a little mark in my notes. I'm not going to preach this when I do the Hebrew series. I'm saving this for when I do this generosity series. That word rewarder is an incredible word in the scriptures, and I just want you to hear it. Okay, the word rewarder, it actually is five syllables in Greek. It's a very hard word to say, five syllables. All right. If you take one of those syllables away, there's a key syllable you can take away, just three letters in Greek, if you take that away, the word goes to another word, and it's just four syllables, and it's the word recompense, to pay what is due, to pay what is due. That's the word in the Greek with four syllables. syllables. But if you add the last syllable, and you have a five-syllable word, it is only used one time in the whole Bible. I didn't know this. You can see the word reward all over the place, but actually those are different words for the Greek word reward. This is the word specifically with the five syllables, and this is why I was so thrilled when I saw this. He is a rewarder. Only time in the Bible he says this. 
The only time he uses this word. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you add the fifth syllable, what you're actually saying is, he's not just a person who pays what is due to you. He rewards with extravagance. That's the word in the Greek. He rewards with extravagance. God always sees to it that he rewards with extravagance. Now, here's the amazing thing to me. He took the time to write that down, put it in the word of God and said, I want you to know something, Rob. That's a promise. I will extravagantly reward you. Now, let me put that in the double negative, okay? God cannot not reward you. God cannot not reward you. He has to because he made a promise, he put it in his word, and he cannot lie. That's beautiful to me. I hold on to that, that he is a rewarder. He rewards with extravagance. Now, I have found great reward in just my children being saved. Just the fact that he raised them from the dead. That's, that's just one example. But the greatest reward, I think, that I feel from my walk with God in Genesis 12, it starts in Genesis 12 when God says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'll be your reward. I think that's a better reward. I'll be your reward. I love that. Is The greatest reward is when he rewards me with himself. The greatest reward you'll ever experience in life is when he rewards you with himself. That's what he means by the phrase in Hebrews 11. He rewards, him, rewards you with himself because that now affects every area of your life. <laughs> every area of your life. I'll close with this and I'm done, okay? It's just a story. There's a lady who um, received an extra $1,000 at her workplace. And she needed that 1000 She'd been praying for it. And when she got that $1,000, she said, I'm going to write a tithe check first. So she sat down to write the check for $1,000, or excuse me, for $100. She's going to give 10% off of that 1000 She wrote the check, got it ready for 100 When she got to where the place was to write that amount in, the Lord, she said the Lord spoke to her and said, add 20 to it. Well, Lord, I need the whole thousand, really. I'm just giving you the hundred. And she started having a conversation with the Lord. And she said, I really need to use that. And he said, I want you to go above the tithe. I want you to give a free will offering. So she said, okay, I'm going to give the 20. So she wrote the check for 120. Now, there was a guy in a parking lot. You may know who this is. But oftentimes, he'll go around looking at people, and he'll sense the Spirit of God speak to him. And in his wallet, he's got $100 bills. And he waits till he's impressed by seeing someone, and then he will go over to them, and he'll hand them a $100 bill. So he saw this lady in the parking lot, and he was impressed by that, and he said, I'm going to give her $100 bills. So he went into his little pack of $100 bills, and he pulled one out. When he looked down, next to it was a 20 in his $100 bills. And he says, like the Lord said, give her that 20 too. And he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm just $100. I always give $100. I don't give 120s. I give 100s. He said, give it. So he took the 100, he took the 100 and the 20, and he gave her the 120, exactly what she had tied. And so she told him, she started to cry, and she told him, you're not going to believe this, but I had just given that in my offering. And he said, you're not even going to believe this. But when I opened and saw the 100, there was a 20 next to it, and I gave that to you too because the Lord told me to give you 120. It was the exact amount. It's just a cool story. And I, I just believe that that's not why you do it, okay? I believe it's deeper than that. It's that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, the invitation is going to be a little different today. Some of you have already made a commitment, some of you have already given online. And I am saying thank you again to you for your commitment. But you're here and maybe you haven't yet made a commitment and God's stirring your heart. God's speaking to you. He'll speak to you about the mount. 
It's not a tithe. It's a free will offering. It's above the tithe. It's, it comes out of the free will of your heart to say, you know what? I'm going to be pushed a little. I'm going to be challenged a little. I'm going to go above things. I'm going to go above that. Some did it one-time gifts. Some are doing it over a three-year period of time, asking the Lord to push their faith a little. I'm not asking for an extravagant. I'm just asking you to ask the Lord, what do you want me to give? If you haven't filled out a commitment card yet, I want you to take the time before you leave this service today. There's some out in the foyer. You can put it in this offering box or you can just give online if you want to do it that way. But help us with this. There's so many reasons I could say, but I just know that we see a future. We have a vision for this. I have a vision for this. And I believe in so many ways we're touching lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wish I could sit here and tell you all day some of the blessings that I've seen. Some of you have heard them from me personally. But God has so blessed with some of the ways that the gospel has gone forward through us. I give him all the glory and honor. And I want to continue to see that. Not done in bricks and mortar, but that is a means. Because this is, this is, all I see these buildings as are as our launching pad. One day we're going to go home in our rocket, all right? And this launching pad is just going to get us there. It's going to send us forth. So this is one of our launching pads. And I want you to be a part of that. So consider that just at this time. We're going to go in the invitation saying, if there's a personal need in your life, something else that you need to bring to this altar God's speaking to you about, you do that. But, but I want this just to be a time between you and the Lord. And if you'd be a part of that, I'd be greatly honored. Father, I pray for this time now and I commit this day to you, commit these days to you and where we're going in our future and what you've done to bless us. I'm so thankful, Lord, for these givers over the years of my term here. It's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. I'm so grateful for the ones that have been a part of this in so many ways. And financially, it's been such a big part of their life. I see it in their hearts doesn't matter what kind of home they have. How much they got. I know they're generous. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. I give you all the honor and glory. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen.